What a morning. We're glad you're with us. A, good morning, everyone. Good morning. What an evening yesterday for right? Fox News and Dominion. And truth and democracy. Uh, yeah, except the people who need to hear it won't. We'll get into it. Yes. We'll get into it. Yes. We're glad you're here. Caitlin is off. So let's get started with five things to know for this Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Fox News has agreed to settle Dominion's defamation lawsuit. According to this deal, Fox will pay Dominion $787 million. Also today, the Supreme Court expected to weigh in on the battle over access to the abortion pill Mifepristone. The court's ruling could determine whether that will be accessible by mail. New York City investigators trying to figure out what caused a parking garage to collapse in lower Manhattan. That was yesterday. One person was killed, five others injured. Also happening today, a Senate Armed Services Committee set to hold a hearing about UFOs. A former Navy fighter pilot will join us to talk about his encounters. Also, great news. Damar Hamlin fully cleared to return to the NFL three months after he was hit and that sent him into cardiac arrest on the field. The Buffalo Bills star announcing he plans to make a comeback to the league. CNN This Morning starts right now. I keep saying it every day. It's very busy, especially now that we're moving into summer. You know, we have the summer doldrums. There's nothing dull no, about the news because we have all the stuff we talked about. We're going to get to Fox News. Uh, in just a moment, but we have the uh, alleged leaker is going to be in court today and also the shooter of the 16-year-old teenager who was shot and luckily is recovering right now. So a lot to get get to this morning. So why don't we begin? Do you want to begin what we were talking about? Let's start with that. Let's start with that. We're going to start with Fox News has agreed to pay a huge Historic price for spreading lies about the 2020 election. You said it is the largest. It's the largest publicly known defamation settlement ever by a U.S. media company. I mean, it is crazy. The network reaching a last minute settlement deal with Dominion Voting Systems for more than seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars. Ten times the valuation of the company in 2018. It happened right before the trial was set to begin. Dominion's lawyers say it is a victory for truth and democracy. Watch this. The truth matters. Lies have consequences. And Dominion needed justice. We got into this case with two goals, accountability and justice. And we achieved accountability when we exposed everything that had been going on at Fox News. Well, Dominion tells CNN that the settlement deal does not require Fox News anchors to apologize or acknowledge on air that they told lies, which is why I said Many of the people who need to hear it won't be able to hear it. They just simply won't hear it. Here's what the network said in a statement when the news broke. Watch. I do have a statement from Fox Neal. We are pleased to have reached a settlement of our dispute with Dominion Voting Systems. We acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. This settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. Okay, we'll discuss exactly what all that means. Simply, did it mean that they lied or whatever? We'll talk about it. Ellie Honig is here, but stand by. Here's a small sample of the broadcast and debunked conspiracy theories that got Fox News into trouble. Sydney, we talked about the Dominion software. I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. Electronic voting machines didn't allow people to vote, apparently. And that, whatever you think of it, the cause of it, it shakes people's faith in the system. That is an actual threat to democracy. Fox News still facing a multi-billion dollar lawsuit from a different company, this one called Smartmatic. So let's go through what happened. Senior legal analyst Ellie Honig is here. Morning. 
Obviously, this was about a whole lot more than money, but yes. it is $787 million. So let's begin there. You want to put it, put it in perspective for us? Yeah, let's start with the bottom line here. This amount of money, $787.5 million, just an astonishing figure, no matter how you break it down. Now, look, you could look at this and say, well, it's only about half of what Dominion originally asked for, the original $1.6 billion figure. But we need to be realistic about what these figures are. These numbers that plaintiffs put forward are just that. They're numbers that plaintiffs put forward. There's no guarantee Dominion would have won at trial. And even if they had, there's no guarantee they would have gotten anything close to $787.5 million. Now, let's put it in some meaningful context. Poppy, as you just said, This is an unprecedented payout. If we look at some of the recent high-profile defamation settlements and judgments, we are seeing dollar amounts in the $222 million, $177 million, $274 million, $33 million. The only higher figure came in the Alex Jones case, Mm. where a jury awarded $1.4 billion. However, that needs to be split between about 20 different plaintiffs, and realistically, Alex Jones is not going to pay that money. Fox is going to have to pay all $787.5 million. It's also important to keep in mind exactly what Dominion Voting Systems is. It's a modest-sized company. They're privately held. They have about 250 employees. The current total valuation of the entire company is under $100 million. So, Poppy and Don, here they've received more than 10 times the value of the entire company company, it's a big, big number. So what does, what does Fox get out of this deal, except for lighter pockets, but still, they have enough money, they'll be fine. Why would they agree to, to pay so much here? Yeah, so on the one hand, Don, they could have got hit, theoretically, with an even heavier verdict if this had gone all the way to trial. But I think more important, they avoided the nightmare scenario of having some of their most prominent hosts have to take the stand at this trial take an oath and get cross-examined. We were looking at the very realistic possibility of seeing Hannity, Tucker Carlson, and other prominent hosts have to take the stand. And also, maybe even more importantly, some of Fox's top executives are now spared having to take the stand and get cross-examined, including, most importantly, Rupert Murdoch, the CEO of the entire Fox News Corporation. And remember, the judge ruled just last week that, yes, Rupert Murdoch did have to testify. I think that was a key moment in drawing Fox into the negotiation. Ellie, can I just speak for folks this morning? And Don alluded to it. Who I thought Eric Wemple put it well in his column and in the Post today. That you know, it feels <clears throat> a bit empty to some, is what he said, because there was not there is, as I understand it, Oliver Darcy's reporting, no need or requirement that these personalities get on air and admit that there were lies, that they spread these lies. That's true. And let's keep in mind, though, a verdict does not come with an apology either, even if they had gone all the way through. But let's look, Poppy, at what Dominion did get in terms of accountability. Fox made this statement somewhat ambiguous, somewhat lawyered up, but they say, we acknowledge the court's ruling finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. So what exactly are the court rulings that they're talking about here? Well, let's remember, last week, the judge in this case made a finding as a matter of law that it is, quote, Crystal clear, crystal clear that none of the statements relating to Dominion about the 2020 election are true. That all caps, by the way, is the judges. That's the finding that Fox has now admitted. And also, Poppy, it's really important to keep in mind, as a result of this litigation, we have now seen behind the curtain at Fox News, Dominion has exposed the private texts and emails. Rupert Murdoch, for example, wrote the Trump myth, Trump myth 
that the election was stolen. Tucker Carlson, talking about Sidney Powell, one of the main purveyors of this fraud, said she is, quote, lying. Laura Ingram, talking about Sidney Powell, called her a complete nut. That's her words. Sean Hannity, talking about Rudy Giuliani, another spreader of the big lie, said he is, quote, acting like an insane person. So, no, nobody's going to go on Fox News and say, hey, we lied, but this is all in the public record now. Wow, very interesting. I'm sure Smartmatic is like, they're happy about it. Listen, Smartmatic hit the jackpot. They still have a pending lawsuit against Fox News. I can't see Fox News paying this much money to avoid trial with Dominion and then going to trial with Smartmatic. I think Smartmatic's lawyers are rubbing their hands. And and, and by the way, Dominion is is privately held. So is it a a private equity company? Yes. By a private equity company. Exactly. So So, they they have to protect their bottom line. So they've gotten 10 times more money than the valuation of their their company into their... Yes, they're wow. a corporation. They have to think about their employees and their bottom line. One interesting thing about them that their lawyers brought up is that um, a number of the employees are shareholders in the company. Exactly. You've only got 250 employees, they so... They wouldn't quite an- answer Anderson Cooper last night yeah. when he asked, will Anderson all the employees of see this? But they said, well, a lot of the employees are shareholders. So hopefully, you know, it goes to some, some of, of the, the employees, employees or most of the employees. It'd be interesting if it went to yeah, the Yeah, because their name so. and who they work for every day was dragged through the mud. Yeah. Exactly. So, Ellie, thank you. Thank you, Ellie. Appreciate that. Straight ahead in our 8 a.m. hour, almost at 8 p.m. hour, in our 8 a.m. hour, we're going to speak with Justin Nelson, the lead counsel for Dominion. You see his face right there up on the screen. Why his team ultimately chose to settle? And should they have pushed harder for an on-air apology from Fox News anchors? Make sure you stay with us for that. Also this morning, the man accused of shooting Ralph Yarl, a black teenager in Kansas City. That man is expected to be arraigned today. He is 84-year-old Andrew Lester. He turned himself into authorities yesterday. The sheriff's office has released this booking photo of him. But he was released just hours later on $200,000 bond. He is facing two felony charges after admitting to shooting y'all, who, who said he went to the wrong address. He just went to the wrong house to pick up his younger brothers. Lucy Kafanov is following all of this in Kansas City, Missouri. Good morning, Lucy. What are the conditions of this bond? Hey, Pop. Yeah, Poppy, um, you know, this has been a whirlwind 24 hours when we were on the show yesterday. Nobody knew when he would turn himself in. Andrew Lester did finally turn himself in yesterday afternoon to the detention center, was almost immediately released. Conditions of that $200,000 bond are that he is prohibited from having any type of weapon. He is not allowed to have any direct or indirect contact with Jarl's family. His cell phone is also subject to monitoring. Uh, He is facing two charges, as you pointed out, assault in the first degree and armed criminal action. But take a listen to how community leaders and the Jarl family attorney reacted to this. A charge! does not mean justice. We don't want him out, but we understand that's part of the process. So we are anticipating uh, a possible arraignment this afternoon. CNN is trying to reach out to the prosecution to confirm this. Uh, We also know that President Joe Biden actually spoke to to the teenager on Monday. He released a photo on Twitter yesterday showing that conversation. He wrote, and I quote, no parents should have to worry that their kid will be shot after ringing the wrong doorbell. We've got to keep up the fight against gun violence. Poppy. Don did that really powerful interview yesterday with with Ralph Yarl's aunt. It was aunt, I believe, right? And yeah. And he and she kept reminding us that he will never be the same. This boy will never be the same mentally, emotionally, physically. Can you update us on at least his physical condition this morning? Do we know? 
We don't know anything as of this morning, but the family attorney did speak yesterday saying that Ralph, uh, you know, he, a bullet traveled less than five feet into his upper temple. It penetrated his skull. Uh, it sprayed bullet fragments into his fr frontal lobe on Thursday. But on Saturday, he was apparently home and playing with his dog. Again, as we've been saying, the physical wounds will heal. The emotional and the trauma recovery is going to take a lot longer. Absolutely. Lucy, thank you so much for that reporting. All right, we now take you to upstate New York. No signs of remorse at, from the sheriff in the case involving the young woman in New York who was shot and killed after her friend accidentally turned into the wrong driveway. Kevin Monahan is accused of killing Kaylin Gillis on Saturday night in a rural area upstate. He is set to appear in court hours from now. Monahan's lawyer said that they were with a second car and a motorcycle, which made his client think something menacing was going on. The sheriff responding to that claim just last night. They weren't in the driveway for a very long time at all before they realized it was the wrong house. And they were in the process of leaving, which makes this case obviously a little different. I don't know how you could menace someone if you're leaving uh, the property. Gillis and her friends did not get out of the car or interact with Monahan before he fired two shots. The House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tells CNN that Manu, tells CNN Manu Raju that he expects the House GOP to back his debt limit deal bill next week. Why some Republicans say they're still on the fence. Plus, just an awful story here in New York. That is what happened yesterday afternoon. A four-story parking garage collapsing in lower Manhattan, leaving one person dead. What officials say may have caused this. A live look at Capitol Hill this morning. Wow, the sun's already coming up. Where House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says that he will have the votes to pass a debt ceiling bill next week. That's what he told CNN's Manu Raju that was just yesterday. But the speaker can only lose four GOP votes or the bill won't pass. And many of his Republican colleagues said that they are still waiting to see key details before they make a decision on this. Congress has not raised a debt ceiling. Experts say that the U.S. could default on its debt as soon as this summer, leading to a crippling recession. CNN's congressional correspondent, Lauren Fox, live on Capitol Hill for us this morning. Good morning, Lauren. Does McCarthy have the votes that he claims he has? I mean, it's quite the pronouncement, especially when you consider the fact that a lot of Republicans haven't even seen legislative text at this point. We are still waiting to get more details on what Republicans will include in this debt ceiling increase that is supposed to be joined with intense spending cuts. Lawmakers huddled yesterday for a Republican conference meeting, and there was a lot of concern from conservatives that the spending cuts included in the proposal were not steep enough. And the argument that McCarthy was making to his conference was this is about showing the president, showing Senate Democrats that we are united in an effort to get back to the negotiating table to talk about the debt ceiling. So this is really part of a multi-pronged approach for Kevin McCarthy, and he has to succeed here if he is going to get back to the negotiating table with the White House. He knows that. His conference knows that. Is that enough to put him over the edge? That's the major question at this moment. And we expect that they could vote on this as soon as next week. That's what leadership is hoping. So we'll get to see if Kevin McCarthy was right after all that he has the votes. Yeah, the votes will say it all. Before you go, we saw what was expected, but a formal block by Republicans in the Senate to reject Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's request to put another senator in Dianne Feinstein's place in the Judiciary Committee. Um, so, so where does this go? Because I think it was 
Well, at least one Republican senator I saw said, even if she retires, we're not going to help out. Yeah, I think the major question right now is, does this start to build some pressure among Democratic senators to ask her to step aside, to retire or resign? And I think that we have several more weeks before that pressure is going to build, in part because lawmakers do have some judges that they could put on the floor. That's going to take some time, a couple more weeks. Maybe that buys Feinstein some time. Maybe she returns to the Senate. That is what Democrats are waiting to see right now, because the reality is they don't have options to temporarily replace her on the Mm -hmm. committee. We saw that yesterday. Schumer could always force a vote on the floor. But again, it's just not clear that 10 Republicans would back up Democrats to help. And just to be clear, in terms of the the judges they're trying to get confirmed, it's not all of the nominees, right, that that the Republicans take issue with. McConnell was saying this is just uh, several of them, right? Yeah, I mean, there are judges who have bipartisan support and would be able to move through the Senate judiciary process. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. Ahead, this. I'm gonna tell you something. If this back in the day, would that dog take a damn black guy, whoop their ass, and throw them in the cell? I'd run the chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. We'll take them down to a mud creek and hang them up with the damn rope. Yeah. But you can't do that. Think about it, they got more rights than we got. And there you go. The governor of Oklahoma calling on four county officials to resign. After that, a recording captures them making those racist and threatening remarks. Hear more of what they said next. Plus, one person is dead after a four-story parking garage collapsed here in New York City. We're live on the scene with brand new details. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. heard a big boom and we thought it hit our building so we went to check the windows we immediately saw smoke and we went on the side and we opened the window and it was completely just collapsed everything was collapsed all debris smoke cars were sinking it it looked like out of a movie and it was horrible Uh, terrifying we do have new details this morning what may have caused a four-story parking garage to collapse in lower manhattan this happened yesterday it left one person dead five others injured the garage has six open violations three of which are classified as hazardous according to the new york city department of buildings manhattan borough president mark levine says they think everyone is accounted for but it's going to be a while before the streets surrounding the collapse are safe to the public. Gloria Pazmino joins us live from the scene. I was just telling Don, I mean, I used to live like blocks from there. I know exactly where it is. It's terrifying. What more do we know about these violations that were apparently not fixed? Yeah, Poppy, a pretty terrifying scene, a chaotic scene here yesterday afternoon, shortly after 4 o'clock. We know that the building was cited several times over the last few years for defective concrete, loose concrete that was in danger of, of falling. What we don't know yet if, is whether any of those factors played a role in this collapse. Now, I just want to give you an idea of what things look like here this morning. You can see just... Uh, beyond halfway down the middle of the block where the park sign is, that is where the parking lot is located. And as you can see, the streets here have all been blocked. Crews are at work. And that is the location of this collapse. Now, this is a very old building. It goes back to the 1920s. It's been a parking lot since the 50s. Uh, And this is not uncommon around here. A lot of these buildings are very old. So what we don't know yet is whether that uh, played a factor in this collapse. 
collapsed. You can see behind it is Pace University, a dormitory which had to be evacuated uh, following that collapse. And you can see in the video that cars have just been swallowed up by the building after the floors just pancaked right on top of each other. I want you to listen to Mayor Eric Adams describing some of the additional help that first responders got here when they were recovering uh, victims and looking for survivors. Thank God we had uh, the uh, robotic dog that was able to go in the building. This is ideally what we talk about, uh, not sending a human being inside a building that's unstable. Uh, we were also able to use the technology of a drone uh, to give a real visualization of what is happening in this building. At this time, this building is completely unstable. As you mentioned, one person was tragically killed. Five others were injured. Now the Department of Buildings here in the city will conduct an investigation to try to get to the bottom of what led to this collapse uh, and to ensure that the other structures on this block are safe for everyone that lives and works in this area. Poppy? I'm sure everyone that does is really scared uh, this morning. Gloria, thank you for the reporting. Okay, so uh, this one is fascinating. You have to watch. The governor of Oklahoma calling on four McCurtain County officials to resign. The group, which includes the county sheriff, allegedly participated in a secretly recorded conversation that included remarks about killing journalists and racist comments about lynching black people. CNN's Randy Kay has a story. I've known two or three hit men that were very quiet guys. Yeah. And would cut no mercy. Yeah. Officials in McCurtain County, Oklahoma, allegedly talking about hiring hitmen to kill newspaper publisher Bruce Willingham and his son, reporter Chris Willingham. It was complete shock. Uh, couldn't believe it. Yeah, I've been taking it seriously. Bruce Willingham owns the McCurtain Gazette, which released the recording. He secretly recorded the county officials following a commission meeting last month. I left a recorder going after I left the room. The officials allegedly heard on the recording are McCurtain County Sheriff Kevin Clardy, District 2 Commissioner Mark Jennings, Sheriff's Investigator Alicia Manning, and Jail Administrator Larry Hendricks. According to a CNN affiliate, the Willinghams have written at least 30 articles alleging corruption involving the McCurtain County Sheriff's Office. They were talking about killing me and my son. You know, They're insignificant in my life. Yes. <clears throat> they, they bring the whole side is, no. Goes around, goes around it. The people on the recording can be heard talking about digging two holes. I know where two big deep holes are if you ever need them. I got an excavator. These are our three dug. And it doesn't stop there. On that same audio recording, the people talking shared their dismay that lynching black people is no longer acceptable. If we're back in the day, would that, that take a damn blackjack, whoop their ass and throw them in the cell? I'd run for the chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. We'll take them down to a mud creek and hang them up with the damn rope. Yeah. But you can't and do that. About it, they got more rights than we got. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt told CNN in a statement he is appalled and disheartened by the comments in the released audio. He's calling on the officials to resign. So is Idabel Mayor Craig Young. I hate to know that this is 2023 and we still have folks who want to live like the 1921 Al Capone lifestyle when you start talking about lynching and killing folks. Randy Kay, CNN. <laughs> it's, it's awful. I'm surprised, but not surprised. You know, 
I also think that it just reinforces how important local journalism Amen. is. Yeah. And those journalists and that man and his son and what they did and, you know, what they have been working to expose. They know their communities. They know the people in their communities. They know that people have these feelings. So, you know, I think a reporter who was from outside of this community may not have had the wherewithal to just leave a recording there because they didn't know them. But still, the stuff that they're saying there is just, I mean, unfathomable. It sounds like the 19, not even the 60s, it sounds like the yeah. 1940s, 50s. Yeah. It's terrible, terrible, even before. The man accused of leaking highly classified Pentagon documents set to appear in court today. What officials still don't know about the scope of the damage. Also, the Supreme Court hearing a case, a fascinating case from a Christian postal worker who refused to work on Sunday because of his religious beliefs. What this conservative majority in the court signaled during oral arguments yesterday. Today, the Air National Guardsman accused of leaking these documents is private documents classified. He's due in court just hours from now. A judge is set to decide whether Jack Teixeira should remain behind bars while he waits for his trial. Last week, heavily armed officers arrested the 21-year-old at his home, charged him under the Espionage Act. Our national correspondent, Jason Carroll, is live outside the courthouse, the federal courthouse in Boston. Jason, good morning. Um, you know, there's what's interesting in terms of what may happen in court today is we may learn a little bit more from prosecutors, right, about what they say he did. We could. And uh, you, obviously there's going to be a lot during this detention hearing, Poppy, that uh, the judge is going to have to consider here. I mean, but I have to tell you, the legal experts that we've spoken to say it's really going to be a tall order uh, for Jack Teixeira to get out on bail, given the circumstances, given all that he's accused of. Uh, but still, the judge does have much to consider. He could consider, for example, whether or not the defendant in this case is a flight risk. Does he present a, a some sort of a danger to himself or to other people in the community? The defense, and you were talking about the prosecution, we could learn from the defense here as well what they intend to do. They could, for example, say, look, our client is a candidate for bail uh, with certain conditions, such as no access to the internet, no access to social media or a computer. These are some of the things that could end up happening as this uh, as this detention hearing gets underway later on this morning. All of this happening, though, as the Air Force has also announced that it has stripped that Air National Guard uh, unit in Cape Cod, where Teixeira was stationed, of its intelligence duties. A spokesperson saying for the Air Force, the mission has been temporarily reassigned to other organizations within the Air Force, this pending the outcome of an investigation. So that happening on that end, as we await on this end, that detention hearing should get underway at 11 a.m. Okay. Poppy. Jason, we'll watch closely. Thank you for the reporting. And happening today, the Supreme Court must make a ruling about access to uh, the abortion drug mifepristone before a midnight deadline. If the court fails to act, restrictions go into effect nationwide tonight. An alliance of anti-abortion doctors asked the court on Tuesday to keep in place a Texas judge's ruling that partially reverses an FDA approval of the drug. Meanwhile, the Justice Department is also expected to file a response blocking the appeals court ruling, making the abortion pill available until justices hand down a decision. A Christian mail carrier refused to work on Sundays because of his religious beliefs. And now his case is before the Supreme Court. Gerald Groff sued the U.S. Postal Service and accused it of religious discrimination. He says his boss wanted him to pick up Sunday shifts because of a new contract to deliver Amazon packages. 
But he pushed back because it's the day of observance, the Sabbath day of worship, rest and worship. Groff says that he faced increasing discipline and quit his job. During arguments yesterday, the justices seemed to be sympathetic to the ex-postal worker. Let's check in now with CNN Supreme Court uh, analyst Joan Biskupic. Joan, good morning to you. This is a very interesting case here. In this case, what are the justices trying to, to balance when it comes to religious exemptions? Good morning, Don and Poppy. You know, this is a court that has been moving to offer more protection to religious conservatives. You remember last year they sided with a coach who wanted to pray on the football field after games, and they also ordered uh, public funds to go to a religious school in Maine. So they have been quite sympathetic toward religious conservatives. And uh, you're right, Don, that they did seem to think that uh, that there should be a higher burden on employers to make religious accommodations for for their religious workers. Here, though, they're balancing not just the interests of a worker who wanted to take off Sunday, but the employer running a fairly small shop in rural, small mail station in rural Pennsylvania, and coworkers who would have to pick up his shift. So there's a lot to balance with the court, and the question is, uh, what would be the undue heart? The, the law says that a, an employer must accommodate somebody's religion unless it would be an undue hardship on the employer. And the question was, what standard should measure that undue hardship, Don? If this changes the precedent or what precedent this will set, if you look at Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, what would it mean, like, writ large for companies going forward? Because you can imagine what would happen, right? Um, and, and sort of what would hit that undue burden bar for a lot of other companies and a lot of other employees. That's right. Right now, uh, the, the Biden administration, the Justice Department lawyer said, don't change anything. Things are working out. The lower courts are adequately measuring, you know, this balance between employer, employee and co-workers. And uh, it's interesting, Justice Alito had some pushback to that, saying, if everything's working so well, why are we hearing so much from the Seventh-day uh, Seventh Adventists? Why are we hearing from the Church of Latter-day Saints? Mm -hmm. Why are we hearing from Orthodox Jews who say that there isn't enough accommodation? Mm -hmm. And so that's a very real question. And uh, Elena, Justice Elena Kagan said, well, isn't this more of a policy issue that should go to Congress rather than the courts? But I have to say, Poppy, just given the way this conservative court has been going, I would think that they would actually make it uh, tougher for employers to decline a religious worker's request. Really? That's really, really interesting. Joan, we'll watch it. Thanks very much. Sure. Thank you. The Pentagon raising with releasing, I should say, eyebrow raising video of unidentified flying objects ahead of today's really historic UFO Senate hearing. What to expect next, plus this. This event was life-changing, but it's not the end of my story. So I'm here to announce that I plan on making a comeback to the NFL. All right, now, in an aspiring comeback, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin is fully cleared to play football again after suffering cardiac arrest on the field. More on his recovery that's straight ahead. So good to see that. Yeah. He was it January. No, I took an auto track. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, dude. Wow. Look at the try. Their question, the first question they asked, asked was, 
what the and what was it? We I don't know. Are we alone in the universe? Do, 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 do. We, not, we, may, we may not find out the answer to that question today, but we might learn a little bit more about uh, objects flying above Earth like the one you just saw in that video right there. It is a recording from uh, fighter pilots doing exercises off the east coast of the United States. That was back in 2015. The Pentagon releasing two other videos of similar incidents, and you see them right here. Later today, a Senate subcommittee will hold an unprecedented open hearing on what the U.S. government calls unidentified aerial phenomena. Dee, 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 dee. Or, or what most people call UFOs, right? So former fighter pilot, Navy fighter pilot, and defense contractor Ryan Graves was one of the first active duty pilots to go public about his personal UFO sightings. His story was highlighted on 60 Minutes. Watch this. So you're seeing it both with the radar and with the infrared, and that tells you that there is something out there. Pretty hard to spoof that. These photographs were taken in 2019 in the same area. The Pentagon confirms these are images of objects it can't identify. Lieutenant Graves told us pilots training off the Atlantic coast see things like that all the time. Every day. Every day for at least a couple of years. So Ryan Graves joins us now. He is the founder of a nonprofit called Americans for Safe Aerospace. Good morning to you, Lieutenant. We're so happy to have you on. So questions, uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot uh, for these phenomena. What do you want answered at this hearing today? Yeah, thank you for having me here today. And as you said, this hearing is unprecedented. There are a lot of questions, I think, that need to be answered right now. Uh, the American public is hungry for answers, especially after the recent shootdowns we had over our national airspace. And so some of the questions that come to mind is, do we have a domain awareness gap? Uh, and if so, what is being done to correct that? Are pilots in the commercial uh, space and the military comfortable reporting these in order to provide that intelligence uh, to be able to prevent these incidents from happening? And the Arrow has been tasked with looking back at the historical record uh, in relation to UAP all the way back to 1945. How is that going? Have we received testimony from any whistleblowers and has that been properly reported to Congress? Hmm. Right, because I... I assume you're pointing to the fact that many of these people may have been discounted, called crazy. That couldn't happen, right? And you're saying, look, we have to seriously look at this. Yes, when we have things flying above our airspace, as we've recently seen, it's, it's a serious national security issue. And if we determine that they are not for adversarial uh, spy platforms, then we have something to be scientifically curious about. Uh, as we've seen, if these objects are floating in our airspace, that's a serious concern to our commercial aviators. Right. Uh, and right now, they don't have the mechanisms or the, the comfort to even report these objects due to the stigma that has uh, preceded these events. I wonder if there is, I mean, if people are, I mean, people think about that, they think about, you know, little green men, that's Martians. That's not necessarily so. Many of these, I, I think, with some investigation could be explained. But I want you to take a look at this and explain this. This is another video called the Gimbal video, and then we'll talk. Here it is. Dude, there's a f***ing drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. That's not our LNS, though, is it? It's not. That is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's a thing, it's rotating. 
So my question is, I, look, could it be a helicopter? Could it be a spy balloon? I live in a high rise. Sometimes you get like a, a plastic bag will come like, what the heck is that? Or a, a Mylar balloon will come up, obviously not going 120 miles an hour. How common are these sightings for other pilots you've talked to? And what have the conversations been like with them? Sure. So the video that you just played is referred to as the gimbal video, and that was recorded during our workup cycle aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt. And we were, as, as you heard in the 60 Minutes clip, seeing these objects uh, nearly every day as we were operating off of our working areas off of the coast of Virginia Beach. However, we then left Virginia Beach, boarded the USS Theodore Roosevelt, and proceeded for training off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. And when we got there, these objects were already out there, uh, or they followed us, but we were detecting similar objects. However, from the video that you just played, that was during one of our air-to-air -air exercises, uh, and an air crew from my squadron was returning back to the ship after uh, essentially conducting their training, and they detected these objects east of the ship as we were already about 400 miles off the coast of Florida. And these objects uh, were maneuvering and behaving in a way that uh, isn't familiar to us as jet pilots. We wouldn't expect a helicopter to be forming at these altitudes. We wouldn't expect them to be able to flip up vertically and, and change directions in an instant. And we wouldn't expect them to have the fuel to be able to hang out in that operation area. Um, and so, as you can hear from the air crew, this was clearly an anomalous event. They had no idea what they were looking at. And these are seasoned pilots with um, potentially thousands of hours that have been just returning home from an air-to-air -air combat mission using these very tools they're using to identify these objects. Alien in origin? It's not about conclusions right now. We just don't know. We don't have enough data. And an F-18 yeah. isn't the proper scientific tool to be able to investigate this. So we need to figure out uh, the best tool to be able to gather more data. And I think what's going on now with Senator Kristen Gillibrand uh, of the Senate Armed Service Emerging Threats and Capabilities uh, Subcommittee, uh, with this hearing that's coming up today, we're going to be able to ask questions, or they're going to be able to ask questions of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, who is tasked with resolving these issues that we're having in uh, our military airspaces, in our training spaces, and over our military bases as well. Totally fascinating. We'll pay close attention today. Ryan Graves, Lieutenant Graves, thank you. Thank you very much. An 11th, an 11th hour settlement. Fox News agreeing to pay more than $787 million to Dominion voting systems over its 2020 election lies. See how Fox News covered it and the legal cases they still face ahead. Fox News settled their defamation suit with Dominion voting systems averting a trial. Damn it! I want my trial. I want it. You were supposed to provide me six weeks of delicious content. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. We're going to make you smile this morning with what may be one of the greatest comebacks in the history of sports, Whoa. Buffalo Bills safety. Damar Hamlin yes. has been cleared to resume his football career less than four months after going into cardiac arrest and having to be resuscitated on the field in the middle of a game. Hamlin saw many doctors during his road back, and they all agreed that he suffered a rare incident in which a traumatic blow to the heart at a certain time during the heartbeat caused it to stop. I died on national TV in front of the whole world, you know what I mean? The, the biggest blessing of it all is for, for me to still have my people and my people still to have me. Some people might say that coming back to play might not be the best option, um, but that's their opinion. And um, like I said, I've been beating statistics my whole life.
certainly has a 25-year-old already back at the team's practice facility participating in voluntary off-season workouts. Those begin on Monday. And can you imagine the whole new look on life, I am sure. Yeah, we were, it feels like we were just here reporting yes. on the tragedy. Waiting the for him to wake up. To wake up, to see what was going to happen. Yeah, and now, now I'm this. sure mom, hi mom. I'm sure the mom is really happy as well. All right, CNN This Morning continues right now. There is a settlement, a settlement in the high-stakes trial between Dominion and Fox. $787 million and change. This is not over for Fox. This is probably just the beginning. All of those decisions will have a huge bearing on those other lawsuits as they play out. Today's settlement represents vindication and accountability. Lies have consequences. If you're a Fox News viewer, you won't even know this happened. The 84-year-old white homeowner charged with shooting Ralph Yarl turned himself into authorities and was released. We don't want him out, but we understand that's part of the process. This is a stand-your-ground state combined with completely unfettered access to firearms and implicit bias. You have a recipe for disaster. This was heinous. It was evil. It was criminal. One person dead and several others injured after a parking garage in lower Manhattan, quote, pancaked. Using the necessary technology, we're able to get a clear view of what's happening inside the building. We believe that we have everybody accounted for. Is it going to take a while to make it safe for the public? Senate Republicans blocking Democrats from temporarily replacing California Senator Dianne Feinstein on the Judiciary Committee. That's ridiculous. I'm not replacing Dianne Feinstein. No, she'll make her decisions. This is all about four judges that they can't get Republican votes for. I don't know any other job where you can not show up for a year and expect to hold your job. Sexy as a tortoise. That's Netflix, a company that rents movies on DVDs. Netflix is officially saying goodbye to its red envelopes that made it a household name. It's like the hare and the tortoise, and we were the tortoise. The hare got ahead, and then they're all bankrupt, and we're now cash flow positive and successful. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday. Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> Good try. Guy needs some sleep. I need some sleep. You know who else is getting probably resting very well this morning? Uh, the attorneys Dominion. for Dominion. And I would imagine some of the Fox folks, folks are uh, really relieved that they won't have to go to court or appear in court and testify this morning. They know what day of the week it is. A good day it's for democracy. It's a good day for democracy. We're talking about broadcasting lies. We're talking about broadcast conspiracy theories about the 2020 election has come to an enormous and historic cost for Fox News. Wait till you get a load of the number here. In a last minute deal, Fox agreeing to pay Dominion voting systems more than 880 seven million dollars to settle a defamation suit and happened right before the trial was about to start watching the truth matters lies have consequences and dominion needed justice we got into this case with two goals accountability and justice and we achieved accountability when we exposed everything that had been going on at fox news so this is the largest known defamation settlement ever for an American media company. <clears throat> Under the agreement, Dominion tells CNN that Fox News will, be, will not be required, not be required to go on air and tell its viewers that it spread lies. So let's bring in now CNN media analyst and Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher and attorney Ten Ken Turkel. He represented Sarah Palin in her failed defamation suit against the New York Times, as well as Hulk Hogan, 
who successfully sued Gawker for invading privacy and was awarded $115 million. So glad to have both of you on. Thank you uh, so much. Sarah, we're going to start with you. You were in the courtroom for this last-minute decision. What was that like? It was not a total shock, Dom, because we were waiting for opening statements after the jury selection was finalized for many hours, and they kept saying, oh, this is just a five-minute bathroom break. But here we are, two and a half hours later, we knew. We also are watching the Dominion attorney, Justin Nelson, walk over to the Fox attorney, Dan Webb. They did not look flustered. They looked very calm. They looked kind of happy. And so when you're watching two attorneys interact that way, you know something is coming. At that point, every single reporter in the courtroom is sort of pre-writing the settlement decision. We kind of knew it was coming. But it was still a shock because we had gotten all the way here. You know, we'd had months of pretrial testimony and hearings, and we had figured that at this point, You know, they had done everything they needed to do to allude to the fact and prepare for possibly going to trial. Mm -hmm. So this was truly an 11th hour decision. Wow. Ken, can you take us into the scenes, uh, behind the scenes of what, you know, a settlement discussion like this is after a jury's already been selected, seated, you're about to do opening statements? Because notably missing in here, it's a lot of money, notably missing is a requirement, which Dominion wanted initially um, for the Fox News personalities to publicly apologize on air. Um, it's always interesting to me when cases settle at these moments, right when a jury's picked or right when they're about to open or on a mid-morning break. I like to say uh, if I've gotten ready for trial, if I prepared, the trial is actually the fun part. But, um, mm-hmm. the you know, you can never put a finger on what's going on behind the scenes. It could be the non-monetary conditions. Somebody could be hung up on some of the monetary confidentiality which obviously, at least in part, isn't happening here because we know the number. Um, the I thought I had heard yesterday, I haven't seen a hard copy of any settlement agreement. I thought I heard yesterday uh, that there was some apology component, some mon- non-monetary component. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, these are high stakes cases. And I, I think one thing that it's easy to lose sight of in the, the public eye is the idea that there's no risk, let's say, on the Dominion side. Mm-hmm. When you're trying a jury, there's always a risk. There's always some risk, okay? You lose certainty. You lose, you know, your self-determination of the closure of it. And you start with your client's goals, and they had monetary goals, obviously, large monetary goals that were predicated on lost profits, uh, business valuation uh, uh, issues that diminished the value of the business. They're achieving their goals at that number, okay? And it's reckless to a degree to not settle a case Mm -hmm. under those scenarios. So I wasn't that surprised. I really wasn't. You weren't. Um, it's Not really, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, we were I, I'm sort of monitoring the papers here. It is in the Wall Street Journal, which was looking at. Above the fold. Above the fold for, um, you know, the Murdoch-owned papers. Um, not in the post. Uh, at and all? I, I looked through it. Look, I can't be 100%, but I, I went through New York about. Post. I went through it like two or three times. Just, just sort of went through it. I did not uh, see it. The thing here, though, I think, Sarah, is people are disappointed, not by the amount, because they think it's a, it's, a, it's a good amount, but that the people who actually need to hear mm-hmm. this, the Fox News viewers, won't get to hear it, because it's monitored. We looked at, say, we checked the Fox News website last night. Um, there was no mention of it on their homepage. The article they do have written doesn't even say how much money Fox is paying. So 
who actually wins here? It's interesting. I actually was sitting next to a Fox News reporter in court, and I was watching them diligently take notes. And just having them be in court, to me, felt like a little bit of a level of accountability. Their media analyst, Howie Kurtz, did end up covering it towards the end of the trial. He said in the beginning he wasn't allowed to. But to your point about not making an apology, you know, the thing that actually makes me more upset is they don't have to issue any corrections or any retractions. In a journalistic entity, if I get something wrong, I have to correct it. That's the way that it goes. But, you know, to your point about what are the broader implications here, you have to remember, Fox is facing many defamation suits. It's not just Dominion. They have a suit from Smartmatic. They also have a suit with one of their uh, own producers that's suing them, claiming that they misled her during testimony. And so what happens is when you settle a case like this, you're setting a precedent for how you legally are going to likely need to handle all of the other cases. In this case, we know that what they're willing to do is pay up in order to make sure their execs never have to face a trial. You can best believe that Smartmatic, who's, by the way, their lawsuit is much bigger than Dominion's, is going to leverage the discovery that they found during the Dominion hearing to strengthen their case. And they're going to leverage the fact that Fox just made a huge payout to a different competitor when they're trying to negotiate for their settlement, that, if they do. Poppy, we've yeah. all been here before. And I mean, not a lot, but where you've had to, we've had to go on air and say, even if we didn't do it, we start, we regret the mistake, we apologize, whatever, yeah. and, and we correct it and move on. Yeah. They don't. And yeah. viewers don't care, by the way. Like, viewers don't care. Yeah. If you get something wrong, it builds credibility okay. to own your mistake. Yeah. Uh, great point. Ken, just, can we talk about Smartmatic, $2.7 billion defamation lawsuit? To, to Sarah's point, their attorney essentially said yesterday, we got all this discovery from Dominion. We're going to use that. So what is, you think this case settles as well? <laughs> I, I, it's a smart Maddox lagging behind. Uh, they, they were appealed, I think. Uh, they were in New York, and you get an interme- uh, intermediate appellate right immediately on any motion there. <clears throat> so their discovery, I think, is just starting. But there's no way they're not going to capitalize on what's out there. An interesting point, because Sarah brought up the Abby Grossberg tapes, right? That yeah, the producer. Up, um, right? And think about this, because this dawned on me when you asked what's going on. The special master appointment occurs yesterday afternoon. I, I believe Judge Davis rules on this. Shortly thereafter, we get the settlement announcement. And I'm wondering how deep those tapes go and what's in there. So they've got a treasure trove here. Now, listen, whether it's admissible in their case or not, it's a different issue. But at the very least, it's going to give them a very broad set of boundaries to design an attack on their own discovery uh, front. And there's just no way uh, that it doesn't help them immensely. It's honestly like having a peek behind the curtain. It makes your job a lot easier. I can't see in the context. I don't know much about Smartmatic in the sense of how they design their damages. Uh, You know, um, Dominion's was a pure breakdown of business damages, right? Whereas in Hogan, I got like 60 million uh, uh, non-monetary, right? So it, at the end of the day, we'll see how valid the number is, but I cannot see Fox in the wake of this protracting that and not trying to resolve it. It doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of clean the house up completely, uh, put it all to rest. Um, but who knows? Maybe Smartmatic won't let him. Listen, and we're discussing all of this, but that is what settlements do. You negotiate, we don't have to do this, we're going to pay you this in order for us not to do that, and that's, that's how it happens. Uh, thank you, Ken. Thank yeah. you, Sarah. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good, Absolutely. Good talking to you. Thank you. You as well. Next hour, we're going to speak with Justin Nelson, the lead counsel for Dominion. We're going to ask him why his team ultimately settled with Fox News. Stay tuned for that.
We do have new details this morning after a gunman reportedly opened fire on a car full of elite Texas cheerleaders, sending one of them to the intensive care unit and injuring another. Police say the suspect started shooting just after midnight on Tuesday morning after one of the girls says she accidentally tried to get into the wrong car at their carpool meetup spot after practice. So in less than a week, just step back for a minute, right? In less than a week, simple mistakes by these young people Three young people have turned them into victims of gun violence. Ralph Yarl shot and injured after just ringing the wrong doorbell where he thought his siblings were in Kansas City. Uh, Kaylin Gillis shot and killed after turning down the wrong driveway in upstate New York. And now Peyton Washington shot and injured after her teammate tried to get in. She and her teammate tried to just get into the wrong car by accident in Texas. She's in critical condition this morning. Here she is just a few days ago. I'm Peyton Washington on Woodlands Elite Generals. Come tumbling down with us at World's Fest this Saturday. See you there. Wow. Look at her. A few days ago, Bryn Gingras is here covering this all. Now she is fighting for her life. Yeah, I like how you said let's step back for a minute yeah. because what the heck is going on? I mean, like I was just here yesterday talking about a different incident, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, so this is something that happened just out of the Austin, Texas area, guys. It's, it's with a competitive cheerleading group, as you just saw. And what we're learning is that these teenagers uh, were in, in a parking lot of a, a grocery store, which is basically used as a carpool spot because they travel hundreds of miles round trip just to have these practices to compete nationwide. And one of the cheerleading uh, girls got out of her friend's vehicle. There were four of them in the car, got tried to go into what she thought was her car, opened the front door in the passenger seat as a person she didn't recognize. She kind of freaked out, went back to the friend's car. And I want you to hear how she describes what happens next. She talked about it with her cheerleading team, her squad uh, at their gym. Um, and we have this from our affiliate KTRK. Take a listen. As we're backing up, I see the guy get out of the passenger door and I roll my window down um, and I was trying to apologize to him. And then he, I just, halfway my window is down, he just threw his hands up and then he pulled out a gun and then he just started shooting at all of us. Tried to apologize and he just starts shooting at the car, hitting, uh, grazing a bullet of, of that woman, uh, Heather Roth, but hitting her teammate here, uh, Peyton Washington, who is now in the ICU. She had to be actually airflown to the hospital to receive care. And so now there is a GoFundMe page. Uh, these cheerleaders are we're gearing up for a huge competition. Uh, she may not be able to do it. Or she won't be able to do it because uh, she's in the hospital. Um, but it's, it's so sad. I mean, what is going on? Yeah, I, I, I can't even. I can't even. Yeah. Um, can we talk about what happened in upstate New York now with yeah. uh, Kaylin Gillis shot and killed in upstate New York? We're learning more about what happened before, right? Just before the shooting. Right? Yeah. So I had like a very lengthy conversation with the defense attorney for the suspect in this case, Kevin Monahan. He's actually waiting for a bail hearing. Interestingly enough, it's been delayed because the judge is his neighbor. So he had to recuse himself from this case. Uh, so we're waiting for that. But uh, what this attorney says is that Monahan actually did feel threatened. It wasn't just one car that pulled into his driveway that evening, 10 o'clock on Saturday in this upstate rural area of New York. Uh, but it was actually another vehicle and a motorcycle. He says, his client says, he didn't know what was going on. The engines were revving. These cars pull up. And according to the sheriff's department, they all turned around quickly. Now, the sheriff, 
I brought this to him and he said, listen, that's just not the case. There were no reports of engines revving from not even the suspect or any of the neighbors and ballistics and witness accounts show that the firing happened as they were actually turning around. But I wanted to hear more from the sheriff about what he said about this suspect. He has not made any statements. He obtained a lawyer before he came out of the house. Um, and he has not made any statements and uh, quite frankly has not shown any remorse in this case. And as far as the extra remorse, I also asked that to the defense attorney. He says, listen, his client didn't even know what he was actually having deputies come to his door because he didn't know he actually hit someone. But again, Don, you just said it just there. Yeah. Revving your engines, Revving you're engine. feeling threatened and you, you start firing a gun. Uh, at the end of this, listen, a 20-year-old is dead, yes. right? I'm dead because of this. Um, and I want to make sure that we talk about her. Kaylin Gillis, she's 20 years old. She had huge aspirations. Her family gave me a, a statement and said, Kaylin was a talented artist, an honor student, a Disney fanatic and loved animals. She was looking forward to starting college in Florida to pursue her dream of becoming a marine biologist. She was taken from us far too soon and we are devastated. In fact, she actually uh, had a boyfriend who was in that car with her. And uh, remember, she passed away on the side of the road uh, as they were calling 911 to get help. It's just awful. It is. Thank you, right. Jen. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you, friend. So this morning, the 84-year-old white man accused of shooting a black teen who accidentally rang his doorbell in Missouri, set to be arraigned, Andrew Lester's his name. He turned himself in Tuesday and was released on a $200,000 bond. He is facing two felony charges in the shooting of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl. Lester told police that he did not exchange words with Yarl before he fired at him and that he was scared to death due to Yarl's size. Yarl was shot in the head and arm after he went to the wrong address to pick up his siblings. Shocked by the news, Yarl's community came together this week to hold a unity walk to voice their support. Yarl is now back home from the hospital. He's with his family and he is beginning his long road to recovery. We'll continue to follow that story and we'll check in with the family as well. Meantime, the man accused of leaking top secret military documents set to appear in court today as senators are expected to learn more about what classified information was exposed. Senator Angus King will join us live with the biggest questions he has ahead of the briefings. That's next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. In just a few hours, the suspect in the leak of classified Pentagon documents will appear in federal co- court in Boston for a detention hearing. 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira is charged under the Espionage Act with unauthorized retention and transmission of national defense information and also unauthorized removal of classified information and defense materials. Those leaked documents have exposed so much. They exposed a blunt U.S. assessment of the war in Ukraine as well as Details on U.S. intelligence collection on allies. They also revealed advancements that we've just learned about in the Washington Post today. Serious advancements in Chinese spying military operations, including, according to the Post, that the Chinese military could soon deploy a high-altitude spy drone that travels at least three times the speed of sound. Let's talk about this hearing and what questions he has with Senator Angus King of Maine. He serves on the Intelligence and Armed Services Committees. He and other senators will receive a classified briefing on these leaked documents today. Well, Senator, good morning. Um, 
I bet you have a whole Morning. lot of questions, and I wonder what the top ones are. Well, first, I mean, with two disclaimers. One is I haven't yet had any classified briefings on this, so I'm not talking about anything that's not in the public domain. Secondly, this young man has been charged. He hasn't been found guilty, so we've we got to be careful about uh, mm -hmm. assuming uh, guilt. However, having said that, my principal question is, how in the world did a 21-year-old National Guardsman have access to this level of top secret information. One of the classifications is called TSSCI. That's just about the highest classification. TS stands for top secret, mm. SCI, secure compartmented information. That means there are people, for example, in the CIA that can't even see it. You're only supposed to be able to see that information if you have a need to know it in some operational sense. So this, there's no way to sugarcoat it. This, this is a really uh, serious breach, and it also shows a serious gap in uh, the structure of our uh, intelligence organization. Do you think that an incident like this or this much access to, as you said, TSSCI, such highly classified information, could be changed through legislation? Well, I'm not sure it's legislation. I mean, there we may have legislation as a result, but uh, you know, you can't legislate common sense. I mean, <laughs> this was really the responsibility of, of the military, and uh, it was just not a, a, a responsible way to handle mm. this material. It's important also to realize this, this young man, uh, uh, allegedly, apparently, was not an intelligence analyst or, or a member of the intelligence community. He was a technician running the network. Mm -hmm. So the question is, can you keep the network running without having mm -hmm. access to the content on the network, or are there ways to secure it? And and that's really it's a it's sort of a, a mechanical problem in terms of how this information is shared. There's one other interesting aspect of this, Poppy. If you go back to September 11th, mm -hmm. uh, one of the problems that was identified was not that information wasn't shared across the United States government about the impending. Po possibility of September 11th. So uh, there was a lot more sharing going on. Well, okay, now it looks like it, you know, in this case, it was too yeah, much. That's but right. again, uh, this young man shouldn't have had access to these documents. So you obviously have a lot of questions. We heard the same thing echoed from Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on CNN Sunday morning saying, you know, why were these documents lying around? Why did this person have access to them? What was the custody? A lot of questions you both have for the Biden administration, for the Pentagon. So I wonder, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, are you planning a hearing to question Defense Department officials directly on all of that? Yes, absolutely. But that's going to begin this afternoon. We're having a, a, a classified briefing this afternoon with members from the Pentagon and and the intelligence community. So uh, that's an important part. Publicly? Why is this so important, Poppy? Well, uh, that remains to be seen. I, I think we need to determine what can be public. I think we should have a public hearing. Mm. Uh, but again, here, here's the here's the real danger here. Uh, the term is sources and methods. Mm -hmm. uh, the information that's become public is 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 bad in in many ways. It's not a good thing to have this out in the public uh, and among our uh, adversaries. But the other problem is, it can compromise how we got the information. Uh, in in other words, if we learn something, they can they can take the fact that we know and reverse engineer and say, oh, here's how they got that, uh, and and that can 
can compromise people's lives. It can also certainly compromise our ability to obtain critical information in the future. Are you saying you believe this leak may have put American lives at risk? I think that's entirely possible. As, as I say, if the, if the people, our adversaries, look at this information and they say, well, how did they get this? And then they trace it back. Uh, I, I think that's one of the possibilities. That's why uh, there, there are sort of two levels of problems here. One is the content itself, but the second is compromise of, of what's called sources and methods, yeah. which can put lives at risk. Also leading to a rare rebuke from the spokesperson for the United Nations Secretary General about how this spying on him, not surprised by the spying, but that it calling it malfeasance or incompetence that allowed private conversations to be distorted and become public. You agree with that? Yes, I do. And and again, one of the problems is uh, we don't know what this. If assuming this young man did this, we don't know what he chose, and and mm -hmm. how he decided what would what to uh, what to release. And and one of the, here's another problem. How did this fellow get a security clearance? He had to have some level of security clearance. Uh, the question then is, we've done a lot of work on security clearances. The question is. Would this, should this have been, his proclivity to do this, should it have, should it have been picked up? And uh, that's really hard, hard to determine. If he was just showing off for his buddies, which is what it looks like, I don't know that uh, any kind of security clearance process would have picked that up. Usually they look for things like financial compromise, right. other ways you can, be, you can be compromised. Senator Angus King, thank you for that. As you said, you cannot legislate common sense. Please come back and let us know what you can after you have this briefing. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Poppy. Thank you. Right. Don. Okay, we are breaking down the president's new executive order that expands access to child and elderly care, what it means for you, and a new warning from doctors about teens abusing ADHD drugs. United States of America, we should have no one, if she, no one should have to choose between caring for the parents who raised them, the children who depend on them, for the paycheck they rely on to take care of both. President Biden signing an executive action on Tuesday that issues more than 50 directives in an effort to expand access to both child care and long term care. So joining us now, CNN's chief business correspondent, Christine Romans. Good morning. Good morning. And aviators, no doubt he did I, that's it. That's right. Why is he doing it? Look, this has been a weak part of the American economy for a very long time, and the pandemic really put it into stark focus here, right? I mean, and this is the federal government. What the president is doing is saying, all of the heads of 50 different agencies, you scour your grants, you scour your federal programs, and you find ways to drop copays, for example, for people who might have childcare through the government. You find ways that if you're giving grants to different industries, you make sure that they know that they are required to find ways to provide quality health care. Also supporting family caregivers. This is a big deal in military households where you have veterans, have one spouse maybe, or somebody in the family who's taking care of a veteran. They're not paid for that. Finding ways to relieve some of that financial stress, stress there. And advancing workers' rights, domestic workers' rights. We've lost a lot of these workers during the pandemic. We have fewer child care uh, providers now than we did before the pandemic, and they're not paid very well. Uh, I mean, a best case scenario, you're talking about $18 an hour. So what, from the from the consumer point of view, what are we talking about here? We're talking about childcare costs. One kid, 
one kid, depending on where you live, $5,300 to $17,000 a year. We're talking up to 20% of take-home pay for families yes. they're paying for childcare. And these numbers have gone up faster than almost anything except college tuition. Mm-hmm. Childcare over the past decade, 26% up. Over the past 30 years, 200%. And long-term care, up 40%. So this is a problem for worker productivity, for the economy, the overall growth of the economy. And I talked to the economist, Neela Richardson, this morning about just how important the childcare piece is the overall our recovery of the labor market in the U.S. economy post-pandemic. Here's what she said. We know two things when it comes to the care economy. First, we know that the jobs have not completely recovered from the pandemic. This was a hard hit industry. There was a lot of people who left this industry during the pandemic. And the second thing we know is that the care economy has gotten more expensive. So I have a cousin who's a highly skilled, highly trained nurse who has dropped out of the labor market over the past few years for two small kids because the daycare in and around, this is around the D.C. area, the suburban D.C. area, the daycare is more expensive than her take-home pay. I mean, and you just think about that, the quality daycare, how hard it is to find. Um, And that's, we have a nursing shortage, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of pieces here that we still have to figure out to have a truly efficient uh, economy market labor force. Kids aren't cheap. No, I know that. What's the best piece of financial advice that you would offer? Well, I mean, I call them my cost centers, cost center one, two, and three. (laughs) But um, cost center three is almost going to go to college, and then he's going to be cost center three. I can't believe it. Lots of exclamation marks. Christine, thank you very much. Oh, this morning, a new survey from the Journal of American Medical Association Open Network finds that at some of the nation's middle and high schools, One in four teens, 25% of teens report they have misused or abused ADHD drugs. Doctors are calling it a major wake-up call. Our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, is here. We're talking about things like Ritalin, et cetera. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, there, there is a significant amount of these drugs being, being abused. I mean, this was a survey, so, you know, this is what people actually conceded. They admitted to in, in these surveys. It's, the numbers are probably even higher. It, the, the challenge is this. The, these prescription drugs, these, these stimulant drugs for ADHD, can have very legitimate purposes. About 10% of kids uh, at some point have had a diagnosis of ADHD, and about 75% have been prescribed a medication. But what they found, what really struck me about this study was that in those places where these medications are prescribed the most, that's where you're seeing the highest rates of abuse as well. Maybe that's no surprise. I mean, if you look at where the medications are coming from, they are typically leftover medications. People getting them from, you know, the medicine cabinet, asking their peers. And just as you said, the most common ones are Ritalin, Adderall, Concerta, and and Vinase. Uh, Those are the ones that were the most likely to be abused. What is also interesting is that this is a relatively new phenomenon. Uh, People may not realize this, but Ritalin was was approved in 1955. Um, But Adderall was approved in 1996. And by the way, just to give you some context in your own life, Don Lemon graduated from high school uh, 12 years before Adderall was even approved. And Poppy five years after it was approved. So this is this is a relatively new phenomenon that we're seeing out there. Well, I have to put my age up for every. Hey, I'm right there behind you. No, you're 2001. I'm 1984. But I remember a lot of 
my friends in high school just taking Adderall. Just a year Adderall. of graduation. Just a year of graduation. But um, the the question is though, who is when you're looking at the types of this medication, whatever, who's more likely? Do you have an idea who is more likely to abuse these drugs, mm. Sanjay? It is almost the exact opposite of what we're seeing with illicit drugs. So much more likely to be abused in suburban areas. And as I mentioned, in areas where the medications are being prescribed a lot, because they're just getting them from their friends and their peers. What was interesting as well is if, you, if your parents are college educated, or one or both of your parents are college educated, those school districts tended to have the highest rates of abuse as well. That's what they're saying. What about long-term impact of abuse of these drugs? Well, you know, I mean, part of the reason I put that timeline up is because I, I just want to be fair here. What is the long term here? Some of these drugs like Adderall uh, was only, you know, it's only been around for 25 years. We don't have super long term data on this yet. Right. But there are some concerns, you know, to, to be fair. You know, when you look at this overall, the idea that typically people will take these medications and combine them with other medications, and that can lead to a stimulant use disorder where you, you need increasingly escalating doses of this. But the things that you might expect, anxiety and depression um, can be associated with this, but also tangible effects on the heart, uh, irregular heartbeat, for, a set, for, for example. Keep in mind, I mean, these are stimulants. So in people who have ADHD, it can have a calming effect. It raises norepinephrine and dopamine levels. In people who don't have ADHD, it can have a much more negative effect. Long term, to be fair, we still don't know. But in the short term, there's, there's real concerns. Yeah, I'm glad wow. you raised this. Yeah, very interesting study. Uh, Sanjay, what are you, 84, 85, 86? <laughs> no I, way. I, I, that wasn't part of the timeline, guys. So <laughs> I didn't put that on there. No, I, Thank I you. I was three years old when I graduated high school, FYI. I'm glad he also didn't compare the degrees <laughs> we have compared to Sanjay. Thank you, <laughs> Thank doctor. You. Good to see you. You got it. Thank you. This morning, Netflix is ending a service you probably didn't know still existed. Why DVDs, remember those, are no longer going to be mailed out. No more, no more red envelopes. Yeah, and aviation officials are warning of a, quote, tsunami of pilot retirement. How this could impact the already struggling industry. Sexy as a tortoise. That's Netflix, a company that rents movies on DVDs. While Cosmo had squads of bicycle messengers and Webvan had a fleet of shiny trucks, Netflix found a simple low-cost formula, free trials and unlimited rentals delivered by plain old U.S. mail. I remember when that was such a cool new thing. That's a CNN report from more than 20 years ago when you could order Netflix DVDs online, get them right in your mailbox. After 25 years, the company's ending that DVD direct rental service saying goodbye to the red envelopes. On September 29th, Netflix reporting a miss for its second quarter earnings after the market closed yesterday. Shares fell by 6%. Don't discount Netflix is what I would say. Oh, my gosh. 20 years ago, a CNN This Morning exclusive, a first look at the new HBO feature film, Reality. The film is based on a former NSA contractor named Reality Winner, who was sentenced to five years behind bars for leaking classified documents to the media. Documents on Russian interference in the 2016 election. Here's a first look at Reality. Reality. I don't think that you're some big bad mastermind spy kind of thing. I think maybe you made a mistake. How are you hacking all 
Have you ever taken anything outside the NSA facility? I don't want you to go down the wrong road. Because telling a lie to an FBI agent is not going to be the right thing. Why do I have this job if I'm going to be helpless? You guys, you should pull. So reality is set to air on HBO. Reality is set to air on HBO on May 29th, 10 p.m., and will be available for streaming on Max. We should note HBO is owned by CNN's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery. Can't wait to see that first peek that anyone has gotten at the film. It's so timely. It, well, I was going to just talk about the name Reality Winner. We were, yeah, was, what a name. What a name. What a name. Make sure you tune into that. Yes. So we'll have more perspective on this settlement between Fox News and Dominion voting systems coming up. We're going to be uh, hearing from Dominion's lead lawyer and a free, also had a frequent guest on Fox, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. He joins us at the table next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. The truth matters. Lies have consequences. Today's settlement of $787,500,000 represents vindication and accountability. Yeah, that was Justin Nelson. By the way, he's going to be on with us a little bit later on in the 8 o'clock hour. He's the lead counsel for Dominion Voting Systems. I was after a last-minute $787 million, 0.5 million dollar settlement that was reached with Fox News. This is the largest publicly known defamation settlement in U.S. history involving a media company. The deal was announced hours after the jury was sworn in. Fox put out a statement admitting to lying about Dominion rigging the 2020 presidential election writing. Well, sort of. We acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. I'm not exactly sure if that means lying, but they are saying that's what, they, that's what they're acknowledging, I should say. So joining us now, a frequent guest on Fox News, Republican presidential candidate and tech entrepreneur, Vivek Ramaswamy. So we are happy to have you on. I'm going to talk to you more than just about Fox News, but good morning to you. Thank morning. you for joining us. Glad to be what here. What do you make of this uh, decision to settle this case? I mean, it seems, strikes me as a cost of doing business. If you're going to be a news network, I think it's happened to CNN. I think it's happened to a lot of news networks. That has not it's a cost to doing business. not happened to CNN. This never been sued for defamation. Never been, never been actually this settled. This is the largest yeah, it's, it's definitely in large history. And, and Fox appears to have the largest viewership and the market capitalization. So I'm not familiar with the details of this case. I'm actually more interested in issues relating to this country than disputes with media companies. But I will say that it strikes me that from... But you know, you're, not familiar, honest, you're not familiar with the case. You're not familiar with the lies about the 2020 election, about the election being stolen, that Dominion was somehow, you know, uh, fixing the votes. I mean, that's why they $787.5 million. You're not familiar with that? And you're running for president? The details of a private dispute between a commercial dispute and the details of what the dollar it's figures are, that's not where I spend, that, that's really not where I spend my time. But, but what I will say is, look, there's defamation cases. People settle businesses. If you settle business disputes, Fox settled this one. It's actually not, I think, the pressing issue for the nation of what Fox News' settlement well, I, is. I disagree with, with a, that because with as you, you just admitted, you said Fox is the largest Plano. viewership, one mm-hmm. of the largest viewerships among television networks and especially cable networks. Considering the eyes, the, the American people who are tuning in to Fox News to get their information and to get it accurately, 
I'm surprised that you would say that you're not concerned about this and this is not a, something that is hugely pressing for the American Here, people. Here's the way I the look at it. The freedom of the press is the First Amendment in the Constitution. Oh, exactly. You nailed it. The freedom of the press. So we have CNN. We have Fox. I'm here with you guys. I go on Fox News. I think that that's great that we have a marketplace of ideas in this country. What I worry more about, Don, is the trend that we see in this country to controlling what different parties are actually able to say. The American way to bad speech is more speech. And so I think we need to actually embrace that culture and a more diverse Look, marketplace of ideas. Fact, with all, That's something we haven't done well enough in this country. With all honesty, you're not answering the question. You're giving us platitudes about... I'm actually what, unsure what your question is, Don. Do you want somebody to bash Fox News on no, CNN? No, I'm not asking you to bash actually, Fox News. I'm asking you to yeah. be honest yeah. about what happened on Fox News, about the lies that were told and them having to admit the lies and paying the largest defamation settlement to a media company in history. And you are a frequent guest on that network. Are you concerned about the credibility are you going to continue to go on that network even with those credibility? Issues? I have far more concerns with the credibility of what we will call the mainstream media than I do with the credibility of Fox News. But Fox I'll, is a mainstream media. At the end of the day, what I say is, look, neither you nor I know the details because they settled it before it went to trial. I think the obsession, I think the obsession over the, this is Vivek, a little weird. Vivek, listen to us. It's a little I, I, bizarre. I don't want to get into that. There's not, real issues to talk about in the country. Obsession. Why are we talking this about is, Fox News is, and the settlement? This is a very... Big and important story. And I'm not going to, we have much more that we want to talk I think we to should. You about, but we will get there when we're ready to get there. We have you on to talk about these issues. This is a very important issue and it should not be downplayed. This has to do with American democracy and Americans learning the truth about what happened in the 2020 election. You want to know what you, you don't yeah, think that's I hear important? This, I hear a lot and about comparing it to CNN is not this apples and oranges. It's not the same thing. Well, it's, you know, different networks. Yes, apples aren't the same as oranges. You get one view through CNN, you get a different view through Fox News. I think that's good in our marketplace of ideas is that we have media that offers diverse perspectives. And you want to talk about threats to our democracy. One of the threats, and, I, and that phrase is an interesting one, threats to our democracy. I think one of the biggest ones is the chilling effect on speech in our country more broadly, where if somebody says something that a broad segment of the population or certain people in the government disagree with, there's an increasing trend in our country to silence that. And the answer to bad speech and alleged misinformation is not less speech it is more speech in the marketplace of ideas. That's actually what a free press okay, well, really means. We're, we're going to move on, but let, yeah. the, your answer was good, but it's not about what's actually happened. It's not relevant to what's happening. I think the answer to what happened at Fox News is to tell the truth. Media companies are tasked with telling the truth. That did not happen in the situation, and that's why we're asking you these questions. But let's move on. Let's talk more about a diverse Go exchange on. of ideas. That's what I'm in for. Okay. Thank I'm you. Glad you're here this morning. Your campaign slogan is a new... American dream, and I was reading through your platform last night. Um, I wonder what you would do specifically to actually bring us together, not just Republicans and Democrats. What does unity look like to you, Vivek, for rich and poor, for rural and urban, for Republicans and Democrats? That is the right question to be asking. And I think the main divide in this country, and I say this to conservative audiences equally, is not between Republicans and Democrats. It is between those of us who are pro-American embracing the ideals that set this country into motion. And I think an increasing strain in this country that is anti-American, that wishes to apologize for a nation founded on those ideals. But that's not a 50-50 split. I think most people are in the pro-American camp. And mm -hmm. Poppy, I think one of the ways they would say we get to national unity, some people think is by showing up in the middle and compromising. I respect that view, but I reject it. You reject compromise. I reject compromising on our principles. I think that the right way to get to national unity, and I mean this, to unite this mm -hmm. country is by embracing actually the radicalism of the American ideals mm -hmm. themselves. 
We celebrate our diversity and differences. I'm glad we have some three different shades of melanin on this set right now, <laughs> two different genders. That's fine. But what I say is, so what? That diversity is meaningless unless there's something greater that binds us together, that unites us across that diversity. And I'm running for president to revive those ideals that bind us together across our diverse attributes. I, I want to get into a few issues, one of them being China. Before I get to sure. China, I, I just um, want to better understand something you said this week speaking uh, before the audience at the NRA. Here, here's what you said, um, referring to back to 1865. Here it was. I want you to raise your hand if you know when the first anti-gun laws were passed in this country. Raise your hand if you do. 1865. You want to know when it happened? We fought a civil war in this country to give black Americans the equal protection under the law that we failed to secure them in 1776. But then you want to know what happened? Southern states passed anti-gun laws that stopped black people from owning guns. The Democrat Party, then as in now, wanted to put them back in chains. Then as in now, that's quite an accusation about the current Democratic Party. Who and what were you referring to? I was referring to Joe Biden and his expression of wanting to put them back in chains, dating back to Lyndon Johnson. I think Lyndon Johnson's so-called great society was one of the greatest misnomers in American political history, where even back then in the 1960s, 70% plus of black kids were born into two-parent homes. Today, that number is less than 30% in the opposite direction. The very policies that we implemented in this country in the name of helping black Americans have actually been disastrous for black Americans and all Americans. And I think so that that's something that we need to wake up to. In 1865, you were talking about the Black Codes, right? That's right. Passed, enacted to make it a crime for a black person to carry a gun exactly. in the South. But you're equating that to the current president? You're referring to economic chains? What are you saying? Well, I, I was referring to Joe Biden's, I think, ill-chosen expression to say they're the party that wants to put you back into chains. What I'm actually saying is that if you look at the policies you of the modern Democratic that about Party. Democrats. Absolutely. So what I'm saying is that actually it's policies like that of Lyndon Johnson and Joe Biden that are actually holding black Lyndon Americans Johnson's back. Lyndon Johnson's the war on poverty? Yes. And in particular, his great society where he actually created incentives in the family where if you're a family, you could actually get more money by not having the father in the home. What, Guess what you get? Of, you get what you pay of, for. What, I think it's been really bad for the black community. I think it's really bad for all Americans. What, do you have anything on this before I move on I, to I China? Just, I don't see what one has to do with the other, but go on. I took up a lot of time with Fox. Oh, no, it's Day. fine. We have time. I, I, don't, I don't really see what one has to do with the other, especially consider and using the Civil War to talk about black Americans. That war was not fought for black people to have guns. That's, that's, that's not... That war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Yeah. Actually, that's why the Civil War was fought. Okay. And the sad that part about it... that wasn't fought for black people to have guns, I think. Actually, you know, no funny fact is black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's but, one of the lessons that we learned. people still aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms I disagree well with you country. on that, Don. I okay. disagree with you. And I, I think okay. you're doing a disservice well, to our country. Okay by failing to recognize when the you, fact that we have equality before the law. you are black skin and you live in this country, then you can disagree with me, but we're not. You mentioned in here that I we have three I, different shades Don, of I think we have to be able here. to talk about these issues in the open regardless of the color of our skin. Black Americans today, to say that, compare that to 1865 and 1964, I think to compare I think it's insulting to black people. It's insulting to me as an African-American. I don't want to sit here and argue with you because it's infuriating for you to put, that, to put those things together. It's not right. Your telling of history is wrong. 
you're, what, what, you're what part of the history was wrong? What, yeah. what, what, what part of the history, history was wrong? That the Civil War was fought. You're making people think that the Civil War was fought for black people, only for black people to get guns and for black people to the have The Civil War was fought for rights. black people in this country to get freedoms, a noble mission. And I think that it, even yes, after, right. even after we succeeded, to, to we had to actually secure those freedoms. It, to reduce it in a speech at the NRA to say you're making people think are you trying to say that black people uh, to get guns? That was that, that was the reason that you're there at the NRA. That was the reason for uh, for the Civil War. It I is think a that's fact. Reductive. It's not and reductive. I think it's Don. insulting. There are a whole plethora insul- of reasons that I, for look, the Civil with War. With due respect, I find I find your explanation reductive and actually insulting, including to Black Americans, to say that Black people today, compared to 1964, 1865, haven't made progress in part because of the freedoms we secured. And the Second Amendment was black part people, of what secured that please, freedom. I cannot keep a thought. If you guys are talking to me in my ear. So uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people, say, say what you said again. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second Amendment rights have, were secured. They were not secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you're, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African-Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War. And, and that things turned around. People were, tried to change the freedoms that were supposed to And you know how they the got Civil it? War they got their Second Amendment rights, and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, Don, the, the final, NRA did the, not play a big role. They train black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. That's not. The NRA did not play a big role. This is just historical fact. But not historical fact. The part that I find because you say it's historical fact. The part that I find insulting is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have gone through civil rights revolution in this country. You are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the 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 way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's where you and I have the freedoms that black and white that black people don't have in this country, and that black people do have. Well, here's where you and I have a different point of view. I think we should be able to. Express our views regardless of the color of our skin. We should have this debate without me regarding views, you as a black man. Insulting that but you're me regarding here, you as a fellow citizen. That you're That's sitting what I think here, we see. whatever ethnicity you are, explaining to me whatever ethnicity about I'm, what it's like to be black. Whatever ethnicity I'm, I'm I'll tell you what I am. I'm an Indian American. I'm proud of it. But I think we should have this debate. Black, white doesn't matter. I think we should have this on debate on the content should, of the ideas. Do it, you should do it in an honest way and in a I fair way. And what you're doing is not an honest and fair way. We appreciate you coming on. With due respect, Don, I look forward to continuing that conversation. Thank you. The conversation. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Pop. We'll talk about China. Yes, let's talk about China. Next time you come back. Oh, thank you. Much to say on declaring independence from China. Okay. Something you can, can move add on, on now, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In just hours, the man accused of leaking highly classified Pentagon documents will appear in a detention hearing to determine whether he should remain in custody. We're talking about 21-year-old Jack Teixeira. He has been held since his arrest last week after documents with top-secret information on the war in Ukraine and other U.S. intelligence has surfaced online. He, he faces 15 years in prison. Our Jason Carroll joins us live this morning, just ahead of this hearing. He's outside of the federal courthouse in Boston. Jason, good morning. What will we see? Good morning to you, Poppy. We're likely to hear uh, from prosecutors during this detention hearing as to why Jack Teixeira should not be let out on bail, Uh, namely that argument being that what he's accused of doing, if he's let out, he's likely to do it again. Uh, The legal experts that we've spoken to say it's really a high bar here, that the chances of him getting out on bail are slim at best. The judge here has a lot to consider, including uh, in terms of is this defendant a flight 
flight risk? Is he in some way a danger to himself or to others in the community? The defense, for its part, uh, when it argues uh, about bail, could say, look, bail is appropriate here and perhaps it's appropriate with certain conditions, such as the defendant will not have access to the Internet or social media or to a phone, no access to guns. So these are some of the things that uh, might be considered once this detention hearing gets underway. All of this happening as the Air Force has now announced that the Air National Guard unit, uh, where Teixeira was based in Cape Cod, has been stripped of its intelligence duties temporarily uh, while an investigation takes place. So the security fallout happening on that end as we await this detention hearing to get underway on our end. That's expected at 11 a.m. Poppy? Everyone will be watching this so closely because he hasn't even put in a, a plea yet, right? Jason, thank you very much. And another story that everyone is watching, new concerns this morning for the aviation industry ahead of the summer travel spike. Just yesterday, Southwest delayed hundreds of flights nationwide. The airline said technical issues forced a ground stop. And meantime, Boeing CEO has announced the company will have to delay delivering some of its new planes. The delay stems from a problem with new 737 MAX jetliners. And this morning on Capitol Hill, we're expecting a warning from an industry leader. There's a, about to be a tsunami of pilot retirements, as they're saying. CNN's aviation correspondent Pete Montine live for us in Washington this morning. Good morning, Pete. What are we looking at here? Good morning, Don. You know, this is particularly bad at the regional airlines. The pilot shortage crisis is an industry-wide problem, but it's hitting small cities the hardest. And the head of the Regional Airline Association will tell a House committee today that this issue is getting worse all the time, especially with retirements coming on the horizon. A tsunami of retirements, she says. She says in the next 15 years, 50 percent of all commercial airline pilots will retire, making the problem even worse, Faye Malarkey Black is, says, is that the under 30 core at the airlines is only at 8% right now. This means more delays and cancellations for you and also cities losing service. 42 states, she says, have less service now than before the pandemic. 11 airports have lost, cons lost service completely and making matters worse, 500 planes are now sitting idle, Famal Argy Black says, because there are just simply no pilots to fly them. The solution that is going to be laid out today in front of this House committee is raising the retirement age, a very controversial topic in the airline community, from 65, that's the mandatory federal retirement age right now, to 67 years old. So we will see as this unfolds, Don, this is a very tricky topic and something that the airline industry needs to get a handle on, especially with more pilots leaving the industry. All right. We'll be watching. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate that. Fox News has agreed to pay an enormous, a historic price for broadcasting conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. The network reaching a last minute settlement with Dominion Voting Systems for more than $787 million. They struck the right agreement. They struck the agreement, I should say, right before, right before the defamation trial was about to begin. Dominion's lawyers say it's a victory for truth and democracy. Dominion tells CNN that the deal does not require Fox News anchors to go on air and tell viewers that they lied. Here's what Fox said in a statement when the news broke. I do have a statement from Fox Neal. We are pleased to have reached a settlement of our dispute with Dominion Voting Systems. We acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. We just want to give you now a small sample of the broadcast that got 
Fox News broadcasts that got Fox News in trouble. Here it is. Sydney, we talked about the Dominion software. I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. Electronic voting machines didn't allow people to vote, apparently. And that, whatever you think of it, the cause of it, it shakes people's faith in the system. That is an actual threat to democracy. And this morning, we're hearing from the CEO of Dominion Voting Systems. Watch this. There was an acknowledgement, and certainly it's not the way I wrote it. Um, And uh, I had some conversations with uh, our team, um, my co-founder and I. Um, And at the end of the day, um, the court system really is about accountability. Um, We feel we got it. Um, And um, all of the facts that we had discovered during the case had already come to light. Joining us now, lead counsel for Dominion, Justin Nelson. Justin, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. I think one of the big questions this morning is sort of how do you put a price tag on trust in U.S. democracy, right? You can't put a price on that, as one of our colleagues writes on CNN this morning. Was this about money for Dominion or was this about truth? Well, I think it was really our two goals were accountability and to get compensation for this massive amount of harm that occurred to the company. And I think we achieved both on the truth, on the accountability. Over the past few months, you've seen this mountain of evidence that has been revealed in texts and emails that really show that, in fact, Fox knew. Fox knew that it was lies. And the statement that Fox released yesterday acknowledged the court's order that called these false. This was the first time that a court has held that the election lies were, in fact, lies. And this was the first time that someone has been held accountable in the form of a nearly $800 million payment for that. It is also, of course, a civil litigation. And it's about making my client whole. And although this does not make my client whole, Mm -hmm. it is a step in that direction. And instead of going for years to appeal and to verdict, uh, we got an $800 million settlement, nearly $800 million settlement. And we're proud of what we did. And we do think it's a victory both for truth and for accountability. Let's talk a little bit more about that, uh, Justin, because in the statement, I mean, Fox says, um, we, this is just part of it, we acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. They did not exactly say that, that they lied. And there is, a, a, among the public, there is a feeling that it may have been better, Justin, for the Fox News anchors uh, and their, um, their leaders, their management, to take the stand to acknowledge the lies publicly, that that would have sent a stronger message. What do you say to that? Well, I would say that there was that acknowledgement. And I would also say that in the civil litigation system, we could have gotten a 10, 20 billion, you name the billion dollar award, and they still wouldn't have had to apologize or to go on air to say that they were wrong. What we can do in a civil litigation system is to bring accountability by exposing the truth and by having compensation for the harm that occurred. And on that, we accomplish both by a wide margin. Would you have preferred if you could have gotten your druthers to have the the Fox News uh, anchors and um, folks on air say, you know what, we lied, or at least having had them to have them have to make a statement? Would you have preferred that? 
It's always bittersweet when you settle a case because you think you have a great case. The issue is, of course, that there's always risk in going to a jury trial. Mm -hmm. And my client really, these employees of Dominion have been so incredibly harmed and they still get threats, death threats. They, it's really difficult for the company to be operating. And so for them to have this settlement really does mean a lot. And remember, this is just the first step. We have six other cases against other defendants who are, some of them are still lying about the election. And so what we think and we're really proud of is that this really is the first time that someone has been held accountable for the results uh, and the lies that were told after the 2020 election. Other defendants, who, who might that be? Well, we have a case against Newsmax. We have a case against One American News. And then, of course, we have cases against Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell and MyPillow and Rudy Giuliani and Patrick Byrne. Uh, and so uh, we think that we will continue to hold people accountable for the lies that they told. I mean, look, ultimately, misinformation is not going away. The truth does not know red or blue. And what we have to do is really, if we're going to have this shared experiment in democracy, we have to have a common commitment to facts. And we can disagree, we can have different opinions, even on our most profound issues. But if we are not able to agree on facts, then that is when we're gonna have these just bubbles of where we don't talk to each other. And what happened to Dominion is it just got swept in this torrent of lies where it was in this alternative universe. And I do hope that this really does send a message that it is so, so important to tell the truth. And that if you don't tell the truth, lies have consequences. And I think this is what it established. And that is why there is accountability today. There's accountability to Dominion and there's accountability to democracy. Um, Justin, former Fox News anchor Gretchen Carlson tweeted a few days ago, please do not settle, you are about to prove something very big. She, of course, was successful not only against, in her litigation against Fox News, but in or arbitration, but in changing the law when it comes to secret mandatory arbitration. I just wonder if there are things about Fox's lies and how they conducted themselves behind closed doors that now the public will not know because there, has been, there will be no trial? Well, I, I think that what you saw in the past couple months that has come out uh, in our summary judgment briefing mm -hmm. and that already is public has really revealed behind the scenes that Fox did know that these were lies. That was a really big question going into this. Mm -hmm. Did Fox really know it? Did the anchors who were saying it really believe it? And I think that we've seen the evidence. We've seen the evidence from these crazy emails that started it all to people saying that Sidney Powell was lying to uh, the motive that occurred. And this was all in black and white and documents that have been revealed. So would the trial have put on that same evidence? Of course. But at the end of the day, I think the accountability came from what already has happened over the last months. And of course, the payment itself. Uh, having a nearly $800 million payment really, I think, sends a strong message about what it means to lie. Justin Nelson, thank you for your time. We'll be following those, I think, six other cases that you are lead counsel in as well uh, as this progresses. Thanks very, very much. Thanks, Justin. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
So uh, we're going to move on now and talk about the white homeowner accused of shooting a black teenager who rang his doorbell is already out on bail. The mayor of Kansas City says that the teen was shot for simply existing while black. He's going to join us live. That's next. More CNN this morning to come after the break. We're getting word that uh, Lester has bonded out. $200,000 bond was set. It's not the kind of bond that necessarily will keep someone for a very long time. It's frustrating. We don't want him out, but we understand that's part of the process. So that was Ralph Yar's aunt and the attorney reaction to the news that the homeowner who shot the teen is out on bail. And you saw his aunt shake her head there. 84-year-old Andrew Lester faces two felony charges, assault in the first degree and armed criminal action for last Thursday's shooting. Investigators say he shot the 16-year-old twice, once in the head, once in the arm, when the teenager mistakenly rang the doorbell to his house, thinking his siblings were there. Ralph underwent surgery to remove the bullet from his brain. I want you to listen how the family attorney described his injuries. The truth is, he was shot at point-blank range from less than five feet away, head-on, and was struck in his temple. Uh, the bullet entered his skull and fragmented near the frontal upper left lobe of his brain. Thursday night, doctors were scraping off bullet fragments off his brain. Saturday, he was released from the hospital. Uh, the fact that I spoke with him today and sat down and had a conversation with him, Vice President Kamala Harris had a conversation with him today where he was fluid, where he was amicable, where he was funny, uh, consistent with his character, is truly a miracle. Joining us now, the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, and that is Quentin Lucas. Mayor, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate it. I, I have to uh, say to our viewers, I noticed that both times when I talked about his injuries and when Lee Merritt spoke about the injuries, I saw you wince and shake your head. What's up? It's unbelievable when you think about why this happened. This is uh, a boy, a child, who rang a doorbell and ended up shot in the head. It is one of the most astonishing, shameful stories that I think I've heard about in some time, anywhere in the country, frankly. And just for the grace of God, this, this young man is alive today. But I cannot imagine the recklessness, the irresponsibility that's within the heart and the mind of the defendant in this case. Have you been able to speak to the family or Ralph at this, um, since it happened? And uh, what are they saying? What's his condition? I talked to Ralph's mother, and she is a strong woman. If you think about all that has transpired in her life in the last week, something that a, a normal mother anywhere in America, almost anywhere in the world, might do and saying, hey, go pick up your little brothers. You know, make sure they get home. Ralph's off doing the right thing. And then you have this woman who is worried about her son getting back to school, getting back to some sense of normalcy, and, and understanding the pain that he is going through and the pain that an entire community is going through. Last night, I also visited with members of the local Liberian community, hardworking people who moved to Kansas City, who many of whom have moved to neighborhoods like this one for the best opportunities for their children, knowing that they are majority white, but thinking that it is worthwhile in a way because there could be this great education. You wouldn't deal with these sorts of challenges. And seeing this today is something that I think concerns all of them and all of us. What do you think about him being released, um, Lester being released on bail? It's, uh, it's a sign in some ways of uh, justice in America. I'm an attorney myself. I understand it. I understand the way that these things work, but, uh, but it's awful. 
it is unfortunate that somebody who commits an offense like this, someone who I see as a threat to the public, because I don't know what house he's in right now. I don't know if that's a house that the next Amazon driver or, or postal worker or campaign worker may knock on the door for. And then what? And then what does somebody have to worry about? It is, it is shameful in some ways that he gets to live this very normal life, but I understand it's part of this system that we have, which needs real tweaks. Listen, I, I want to get some uh, reporting on this because we understand, and can you confirm that Lester's arraignment is today? Is he going to be in court? Will he appear? What we understand from the Clay County Public Information Officer for the Prosecutor's Office is that there will be an arraignment at 1.30 Central Time today. Typically what that would be is requiring the defendant to, to come in. Uh, usually that's that statement of guilty or not guilty, other conditions set by the court. So that's at least what we're hearing now. I know nothing further about whether Mr. Lester will be there or his lawyer and, and others, but that's typically how these things would work. Although I will note there have been elements of this that have been atypical. Yesterday, Mr. Lester had the ability to surrender himself to the courthouse, something that a lot of other defendants charged with felony assault, of course, don't often have the opportunity to do. So, but he is scheduled to appear in court today for an arraignment, correct? That, that's the indication, okay. yes. All right. So listen, the, the real question is, what took so long? Because he was released after just two hours the night of the shooting, despite Missouri's law that allows police to detain a suspect for up to 24 hours. You, along with the family, are calling for an investigation. So what do you know? What took so long and what do you know about, about that? Uh, so far, what we've heard is that there was a, a desire for more discussion, including with the victim. I think there have been many questions that have been presented in terms of whether that's something that needed to be done. I think there was ongoing question about that. And, and what I've said a few different times, and I've talked to the police department about this, that we need to welcome all questions. You know, openness, transparency is the sort of thing that is important in these types of things. And I think there are people that are asking real questions and valid ones. I think there are people that recognize, perhaps, that there have been different victims, that the victim's been me. I'll put myself on blast as a mayor. Maybe it wouldn't take this long. And so we need to make sure everybody gets the same justice uh, in, in this country, in this state, and in this city. And I understand that there are questions now about that. We need to make sure those are answered here in Kansas City. The prosecutor did say that there was a race element involved. Do you think there should be a hate crime charge, Mayor? Uh, yesterday, there were, were calls from a number of people in this community that went out to the United States Attorney's Office here in Kansas City and the FBI to ask those questions. I don't think that more investigation is ever a bad thing. I, I don't know if the legal elements can be fulfilled on a hate crimes charge here. What I know very simply is that this defendant in the probable cause statement is indicated to have said he was afraid of Ralph because he is a, a tall black man was the fear. Thought he was six feet tall. He's 5'8". Thought he was in some way menacing or scary. I don't think that was true. And I think that this has everything to do with race. The defendant's fear of black people, black men, black boys. And I think that's why we are all discussing this now for some reason, right? Because it, it is something that is tragic. And I think that if, if uh, the young man wasn't black, we wouldn't be here today. Mayor Quentin Lucas. Mayor. Thank you. I wish that we were seeing each other under better circumstances. We appreciate you appearing. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Poppy. Don, thank you for that. Of course, we'll keep very 
close track of that as it develops. Meantime, this, it may sound like your favorite singer, but it is not. Ahead, the new viral trend of songs being made with artificial intelligence. What are the legal and ethical issues at play? That's next. Drake and The Weeknd, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not. In no. fact, they had nothing to do with what you just heard. The viral song was made with artificial intelligence, replicating the artist's voice. So to reiterate, what you just heard was fake or real? AI, fake, real? It's you know, not Memorex. It's, it's not live it and it's not Memorex. Yeah, and it's not them. The song <laughs> has been taken down from various streaming sites due to a copyright claim by Universal Music Group that represents, of course, Drake and The Weeknd. UMG wrote this. We have a moral and commercial responsibility to our artists to work to prevent the unauthorized use of their music and to stop platforms from ingesting content that violates the rights of artists and other creators. We expect our platform partners will want to prevent their services from being used in ways that harm artists. The artist who generated that song, Ghostwriter977, commented on TikTok, writing, I was a ghostwriter for years and got paid close to nothing just for major labels to profit. The future is here. Our guests are nodding, so we're going to get into that. Neither Drake nor The Weeknd have commented on this recent AI-generated song. But just last week, Drake spoke out about another AI-generated song that mimicked his voice, saying, this is the final straw. AI. With perspective on all of it, we're joined by two experts in this space, Julie Slavin and also DJ Hesta Prin and entertainment and managing executive producer Ian Schwartzman. Guys, thanks very, very much for being here. Hey, why were you, you why were you nodding? Um, what do you guys think? Well, first of all, I think that that we don't know if Drake is involved in this or not. Huh. He's had a lot to say about AI. His record label was somewhat vague in this. Is this the release of a new project with AI, with Drake in the weekend? We don't yet know. Your show last night, yesterday, was all about this. That's right. So you're deep in on it. I'm big time in on this. So my show, Music is Therapy, yeah. it's about music and about emotions and, what I, emotions. and what I will tell you is, my listeners do not like this. They do not like AI. They are afraid. They feel connected to their favorite artists in a deep, personal way. You can't put a picture of an AI on your wall. You can't dream about your AI picking you out of the crowd and marrying you. You know, AI never went through a heartbreak. AI never, you know, was alone. AI can't say things better than you can. Yeah, and it, I mean, it does sound fake, right? Remember the whole thing when, when digital music started to come in and people said, well, it doesn't sound like the album. The oh, album like the is record. that rich texture. Yeah. And the AI sounds fake. It's sort of the same thing, right? You can't really yeah. connect to it. You can't. It's too, I always say perfection is boring and that AI is boring. I I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I, go, no, go I, on. I disagree with you. All I, right, good. I think you can relate to it, and I think that it's just as good as music that's made in a studio when you're sitting there uh, with your favorite artist watching them create. Um, the difference is, is very slim to none. At, at this point, when you hear a song you like, you're either attracted to it or you're not. And when I heard The Weeknd and Drake, the ghostwritten record that's created through artificial intelligence, I thought to myself, wow, this is a record that they actually collaborated on. This is their marketing rollout. And this record's actually coming it, to the market. It, it, Julie, is it just copying what Drake and The Weeknd did? Can, can it be creative, have a soul, create music from that soul? 
These are all the important questions, right? If you're feeding the songs into the <laughs> algorithm, if you're feeding the songs that are already created into the algorithm and it's spitting something else out and then you're feeding it back in and it's spitting something else out, it's not innovating, right? It might sound the same. Here's an argument. It might sure. sound the same, but does it feel mm. the same? To your point about it being hollow, about it not being human. How does it make you feel? But it is artificial intelligence, so it learns from the yeah. actual people, and it actually doesn't, it supposedly makes it better, right? Could. Well, it could make it better. Theoretically make it Do you it have better. artists, because you represent artists and, yes. and actors, do you have artists who are, and clients who are involved in this? Yeah, I represent music producers, some of which who think this is absolutely outrageous and don't want anything to do Has with it. Has it affected them? Not yet, but I think that there are people who are forward-looking, and then there's people who are operating under archaic methods that are scared of having their jobs and potential incomes affected by what artificial intelligence could mean for the future of music production and creation. I personally look at this as an opportunity for artists to create new revenue streams and a new rights category that doesn't exist yet. Wanna, wait, wait, how, wait, I'm ahead. sorry. No, how sorry. do you create a new revenue stream if it's something else doing? You understand what I'm saying? Well, because right now, with AI-generated music, there's somebody else that's inputting the words and lyrics into a machine and then an actual song comes out. If that song is not under the rights that a label has rights to, then this is a new rights category that the artist okay. could then claim and that could generate money. I mean, this Weekend and Drake song probably accumulated 50 million plus records in a 48-hour time span before the record labels were able to take it down off all the DSPs. If that was left to earn money, and the artists had rights to, the, to that recording, then they would have effectively made a lot of money that they didn't. Right. And Ian has also talked about this opportunity maybe for blockchain. You've talked about watermark, sort of digital signatures Correct. on AI. I think that's really important. What are we not asking you that we should be talking about? I think uh, when you talk about new revenue streams, I think it can be, I think the, an interesting place to look is how can fans harness this technology. I think about Kim Kardashian's game. Remember she did Kim Kardashian yeah. Hollywood 20 yeah. years ago? And mm -hmm. you can spend money yep. and you can act as if you're Kim Kardashian or Chloe or Courtney or whomever. I wonder, can you subscribe, can you use um, the Eminem, like David Guetta, the Eminem verse generator? Can I pay a certain amount of money and play in the game of being a record producer at home if I have no you know, musical yeah. ability and say, I want Eminem to write a verse about my best friend? Yep. And, and can I you know, send in some money to Eminem or to his label or to the company. Where does the money go? Yeah. That's creative to me. That's cool. And it's not stealing. And it's not like putting it. someone out of work. And I think there is a different kind of, yeah. to use your word, soul in doing something there like you that. Go. Uh, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> this is fascinating. DJ Hesta Prine. Hesta Prine. Prine. Hesta Prine. Don. <laughs> I just look at the prompter, you know, it looks like an Ian Schwartzman. Thank you. I think you, you made us. I know, DJ, you're, you're How many times you're I got to come here before show, you know I my know. name? <laughs> I think you made us cooler just being yeah. in your presence. So Aww. thank you, guys. Very thank much. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. to see both of you. Um, well, now this story, a great story this morning for you. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin has been cleared to return to football. What doctors and DeMar are saying this morning. Some people might say that coming back to play might not be the best option. Um, but that's their opinion. And um, like I said, I've been beating statistics my whole life, so I like my chances here. I died on national TV in front of the whole world. I lost a bunch of people in my life. I know a bunch of people who lost people in their lives, and I know that feeling, you know, so... That right there is just the, 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 the biggest blessing of it all is for, 
for me to still have my people and my people still to have me. Really so happy for him. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin says he is happy to be alive and happy to be cleared to return to the NFL. He said he died on live TV, right, when that happened. Three months ago, Hamlin went into cardiac arrest mid-game after a routine tackle. He sustained a blow to the chest, stood up, and then immediately collapsed to the ground. Hamlin confirms that Commodio or Commotio Cordis caused his cardiac arrest. Uh, it is a rare phenomenon when severe trauma to the chest disrupts the heart's rhythm and can even cause sudden death. So joining us now, CNN medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He is back with us. Thank you for joining us uh, on a different topic this yeah. morning, doctor. We appreciate it. So walk us through uh, what happened with him. Is it commodia or commotion? In the beginning, we were, people were saying both. Yeah, it's, it's commotio, but you're right. People do often say both. Commotio is the correct pronunciation. It was, it was an emotional thing to watch that, right? When you, I was watching that game. I love sports. I'm a doctor. And then to watch what happened and that remarkable resuscitation, it was like being inside a hospital, even though it was on a football field in terms of what they were able to do. But what, what happens here now, as you mentioned, the diagnosis was confirmed, commotio cortis. Think of it like this. Here's, here's a heart prop. Heart's constantly beating and relaxing, beating, relaxing. It's happening all the time. What happens with commotio cortis is that right at the time the heart is about to relax, go from beat to relax, it takes a blow to the chest. And that chest causes these issues where the heart really can't relax as a result of that and instead starts to fibrillate and go into an irregular heartbeat, which can lead to the cardiac arrest. And that can happen, what I just described, just like that in, in, in a split second, which is what we saw and what we now know happened to, to DeMar on that football field. Mm -hmm. Again, you saw that resuscitation with the, with the AEDs uh, being applied, uh, CPR, all of that. It made a difference, I think, in terms of where we are today, three and a half months later. We'll never forget your piece going up to Buffalo with those doctors yeah. and sort of showing us exactly how sort of perfect oh, right, right, that right. execution was to save his life, Sanjay. What do you, what do you <clears throat> say to uh, folks? DeMar said in this press conference, I know some people think this is too soon and I shouldn't go yeah. back and play. Medically, what do you, what do you say to that? I realize it can seem surprising to people considering what, you know, everyone witnessed, again, on live TV. But the last three and a half months have been filled with all sorts of evaluations to try and make this conclusion. Uh, different types of tests, um, different, you know, looking at his, uh, the structural abnormalities. Are there any of his heart? Looking at his electrical rhythms. What they can say now is that his heart function is normal and that he did not have an underlying cause, either anatomically or electrically. So in essence, what they're saying by saying he can return to play is that his risk is really no greater than someone else like him, a 25-year-old hmm. professional athlete. It's a general population risk. That's why they're clearing him. Wow. You remember everything. I've, I've had forgotten that, what? that Sanjay. No, that Hardly. her memory is crazy. Well, that Sanjay thanks. had done that reporting. Yeah. Thanks. Hope it stays that way, Doctor. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's because she graduated so many years after you, Don. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's joking. Um, oh, thank you, Sanjay. We're so happy for Damar. His whole family cannot yeah, yeah. wait to see him yeah. back on Amen. the field. All right, as you get ready to head to your 9 to 5, we are diving into data on how satisfied are we all with our jobs. Harry Enton has this morning's number. There's a lot of music in this show Dolly today. The leader of a high-end office furniture company has earned herself the nickname Pity, the Pity City CEO. Her name is Andy Owen. 
from the company Miller Knoll during a video town hall. An employee asked her, quote, how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus? This is what the CEO said. This is her answer. Don't ask about what are we going to do if you don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people, leave Pity City. Let's get it done. That is a clip that went viral. According to Securities and Exchange Commission filings, the CEO there, Andy Owen, took home $5 million in compensation stock and a bonus. A spokesperson for the company told us here at CNN that her comments, Owen's comments, were taken out of context. Of course, we welcome her to join us on the show. This brings us to the question, just how satisfied are Americans when it comes to their jobs? Senior data reporter Harry Anton is here with the morning's magic number. I know you love your job because you literally hop across the studio. Here. Yeah, that's exactly right. No I, Kitty City for you, sir. I prefer Kitty City. Remember that store? <laughs> I used to go there as a kid. It was a toy store. Any event. <laughs> All right. So this morning's number is 45. 45 percent of Americans say their job gives them a sense of identity. But 54 percent said it's just a job. This is according to the latest poll numbers back in 2021. And why this is so interesting, this 45 percent, is because I want you to take a look at this trend line of your job is more than just a job. It gives you a sense of identity. Back in 1989, it was 57 percent. In the 90s, 55 percent, 2000s, 53 percent, 2010s, 50 percent. And it has now dropped all the way down to 45 percent. So there's clearly more, fewer Americans saying that their job is more than just a job. It gives you a sense of identity. More Americans think it's just a job. And take a look here. Who thinks their job gives them a sense of identity in 2021? This is another interesting little nugget. High school grads, just 33 percent versus postgrads. 54%. I think these folks may have it more right on the whole, even though I love my job. But if I had any other job, then I think it would probably be just a job. Is it good, though, I mean, for your job to give you a sense of identity? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess for your, there's a different question. Is it fulfilling than giving you a sense of identity? Right. right. I guess, you know, how much do you really love your job? Is it really a part of you? I think that's ultimately the question. That's for me, it's a part of me. It's what I always wanted to do. Yeah, oh, and we're glad you're doing it every Thank morning you. here with us. Thank you, Harry, very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. So there is a pint-sized security breach at the White House on Tuesday, or was one? Details of the tiny troublemaker. That is straight <laughs> ahead. Today, a toddler crawled through the fencing outside the White House. At first, the Secret Service just thought it was Pete Buttigieg. They were like, hey, Pete, no, go through the... I mean, we're laughing, but when it happened, one guy was like, Operation Baby was a success. <laughs> Operation Baby was indeed a success. Did he do it like a Russian accent there? I don't know what it was. Tyler crawled through a White House fence yesterday, setting off security alerts, and you can see two Secret Service police officers carrying the tiny trespasser who was quickly reunited with his parents. Thank goodness for that. Can you imagine if you were the parents, though? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, we're glad you were with us today. We'll see you right back here tomorrow morning. <laughs> CNN News Central starts now. That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at CNN.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.